Is he worthy? He is indeed. You know, it's important in the midst of a crazy, crazy world to be reminded of the things that matter most. And the things that matter most are clearly defined and encapsulated in what we understand is the good book, the Word of God that addresses and deals with absolutely everything in life. And every once in a while, as we study the Word of God, it becomes painfully clear, painfully in in a way of bringing conviction to our spirit and a reminder to our soul that everything's going to be okay. We tend to fuss and worry about a lot of stuff. We have a God who sits on the throne, a God who knows the end from the beginning, and a God who even understands the times in which we live and the challenges that we have. First Peter addresses that whole thing in a very timely reminder that gets us to the place of reminding us that in this world, there's trouble, there's restlessness, there's heartache, and there's disappointment, and there are challenges, and there's a craziness to culture without God, but it doesn't negate that He is. He always was, He is, He always will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords who knows the end from the beginning, and it's Him alone who will decide when it's enough. And then we'll hear the sound of a trumpet. What a glorious thought that is. Enough! And we hear the sound of a trumpet. I'm going to begin a little bit where we began last week to remind you that what we see playing out in our world and culture today has often been described as a political battle between the left and the right, and everything's political today. What we see playing out is a battle for good and evil, dominion and reign. But what really helps us to understand everything that is taking place is that we are in the midst of a raging battle. It's always been raging. This isn't new for our generation. But what is new is perhaps we find ourselves in a similar place to the recipients of Peter's letter. We are in the middle of this battle today, and it's a spiritual battle. It's a battle of worldviews. It's a battle of, of coherence and incoherence, and it's being played out in such plain sight, and I'm alarmed at the Christians who don't see it. Absolutely alarmed. This week, much of the news is taken up by the cries of the left over a Texas heartbeat bill that bans abortion for children after six weeks. It's unthinkable to the left. We can, we can take their life until birth and, and even after in some instances. And this is a whole Roe v. Wade falling apart before our very eyes. How dare the Supreme Court? First of all, this is not a threat to Roe v. Wade. This was a procedural vote on behalf of the Supreme Court not to get involved. This will flesh out, and it will come before that court yet again. But what it was is perhaps the first step in the realignment of letting states decide for themselves. And if you understand the 
the whole basis of the American experiment. It's states' rights. It's not the federal government who dictates everything to us. Now, not all states will make the right choice. You are inhabitants of the great state of New York, and we know what choice they'll make. They applauded the gruesome abortion bill most recently in the last couple of years. But what I lament most of all is evangelicals who don't seem to have a grasp on on what's really at stake here. Do you understand? Since the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973, 62 million children were aborted in the United States. Wrap your head around that figure, 62 million. Oh, it's just a political debate. It was a bad decision. I want to scream what R.C. Sproul once screamed. And if you want to, if you want to look it up on the internet and YouTube, it's R.C. Sproul. What's wrong with you people? These are lives being taken and lives being destroyed. This isn't a political battle. It is for the right to life, the sanctity of life. And you evangelicals who can't understand the difference between that and a COVID vaccine, I don't know what world you're listening or living in. We hear all the time, follow the science. We're not following science. If we were, we would be lauding this abortion bill because now we have ultrasounds and the ability to look into the womb and see the viability of this child after mere weeks. That's what science tells us. Science tells us that there's something bigger than ourselves. There's a greater purpose to life. There's something more because science can't answer the great mysteries of the world. Oh, they like us to think that they can. The world came about by this process of evolution. What foolishness. We were a cosmic accident in essence is what they're trying to tell us. Everything just kind of came together at the right time and voila, there was life. But science teaches us that Life doesn't come from nothing. You can't get something from nothing. That's genuine science. What is happening today, politics aside, is that we live in a culture that has grasped scientism. And science and science discovery and scientism are two different things. Scientism is a worldview that tells us that only science can tell us what is objectively moral or immoral. Only science can determine what is true truth and not true truth, and only science can lead us to the place where we will really understand why we're here. Scientism is built on a notion that there is no God, and there is no purpose, and there is no order. We're cosmic accident. That is the undergirding principle in much of the political debate today. You either believe that he is, and he's worthy, and he is, or he's not. And the science masqueraded as scientism doesn't follow, according to that popular video of the 60s and 70s, will follow the science wherever it leads is a big lie because we refuse to allow it to lead us 
to God. That's where evangelicals have to start thinking biblically and theologically over every world issue. What I see on social media, what I see even, even some, some evangelical leadership is that most of those speaking don't have the theological acumen of a housefly. And if you're stuck with the word acumen, let me tell you what that means. They're not even able to see and perceive and discern right from wrong, what, what, what is plain to the eye, and that they pontificate over all of this, regardless of whether you think it was a political decision in Texas or not, how many babies are going to be spared? We ought to be applauding that as God's people if we really believe in the sanctity of life. We ought to be cheering that and saying, go get them. But we're not, even in evangelicalism. So again, I half wonder if I should add a section to the beginning of every message called the R.C. Sproul segment and start it with, what's wrong with you people? But I'll spare you that. Really, sometimes I want to yell, what's wrong with you people? God is the author of life, and only He has the right to take it away. End of discussion. End of discussion. Peter is writing a timely reminder to Christians, controlled under the Roman Empire, who become the targets of the political leaders of the world at large for believing in God and not the pantheon of gods that the Romans served. And they were falling out of favor, and more and more were so radically separate and different from everybody else, they stuck out like a sore thumb. I pray for the time that the church of Jesus Christ sticks out like a sore thumb in the midst of the cacophony of voices in our culture today. Read a recent post. I think it said something so importantly true. It may have had a political bent to it, perhaps, but there was an element of truth, and, and it went like this. There's no more time to wake the sheep. It's time to wake the lions. It's time for leadership and evangelicalism to finally stand up against this crazy madness and say, it's enough. What's wrong with you people? Of course, you're used to that for me after 20 years of hearing me pontificate about cultural events. It's time for God's people to be lions and champion the sanctity of life and the sanctity of personal responsibility, and the sanctity of marriage that is all contained in the beginning. You see, if you can get rid of God, you can get rid of common sense. But even if you're trying to get rid of God, He is and was and always will be. I hope you as God's people take great comfort in the fact that they can try and erase him from every segment of the society, but it doesn't change a thing. In the beginning and at the end, God. 
Some of you say, why do you even deal with this stuff, Pastor Jim? It's just kind of depressing and discouraging. (laughs) Until you see the world as horribly broken, you will not see the greatness of God. You will not see His holiness, and you will never find the hope that you are desperately in need of today. Is the world really broken? We just sang it. It is. Is He worthy? He is. In the context of First Peter, we are reminded, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Perhaps the biggest lie told the evangelicals today is that you can find total fulfillment in life under the sun. It cannot be found. It's not what was promised. Life is only in God Himself through Jesus Christ. And if all of your hopes are pinned to this world, you are going to be more miserable than most. But my hope is pinned on something greater than a political election and political pundits and the craziness of the world today. As the mountains shake and fall into the midst of the sea, I have learned to be still and know that He is God. That's why Peter is writing to these people who are, who are feeling the, the, the crush of the avalanche of life on them in the Roman Empire. And it's not like the crush on evangelicals in the Western world today where someone might cancel you on Facebook. Oh, God forbid. They're being killed for their faith. Put in the Colosseum where lions were released to tear them asunder for the entertainment of the culture. You want to talk about an evil world. We're not there yet. I wish I could promise we won't get there. But in the midst of the suffering, wherever that comes from, we must learn to entrust our souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. And we must understand that we have become pawns in a political drama on every front today. And if you don't toe the party line, which is scientism and anti-God, there is a price to be paid, and you'll be left behind figuratively and in so many other ways. The persecution is here to stay in the West. We are promised in the context of Scripture that in spite of whatever might come to pass, going to be okay. Here's how, how Peter kind of couches it in the context of, of our passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter says, hey, it's going to get worse. But you have been born again to a living hope, a better day is coming. Father, bless us. As we, as we round out and finish our study in First Peter this morning, remind us of the places that we've been, the ground that we've covered. Teach us to commit and submit to You in the midst of the persecutions that are inevitable, the difficulties and challenges of life. Give us the voice of a lion telling the truth in a broken and decaying world. And may that truth always be about our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the hope that can be found in Him. And to give us the courage to look at even at other Christians and say, what's wrong with your people? Don't you understand what's happening? Give us the eyes to see and the discernment and the acumen to understand, the wisdom to choose our battles and speak the truth and the hope, the hope and the better day that we're assured of and promised by the King of kings and Lord of lords. Teach us with boldness to answer the question, is He worthy? With the refrain, He is. Bless us in difficult and perilous times, I pray. Help us to recall the teachings of First Peter. As we look at the final concluding verses, help us to glean some truth from them, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter begins this section of benediction in verse 6 of the text by addressing Christians in the midst of persecution to humble themselves, to understand the glory and the greatness of God, to yield to this mighty hand of God, knowing that He will exalt us, learning to cast all our care upon Him because He cares for us. So when the world falls on us and we're thrown into a chaotic state, when when we're drawn in different directions, and, and our human sinful tendency is to be distracted and discouraged and discontent and questioning, when we feel ourselves wilting under the strains and the pressures of life, and that is such a normal, normal thing. I'm not asking you to turn a blind eye to the brokenness of the world. I'm not asking you to turn a blind eye to to all that's transpiring in our culture today. You have to have your eyes wide open. What I'm asking you is in the midst of all of that, when you are most prone to doubt, to humble yourselves, to understand who your God is, and to settle your heart and mind in a sober-minded kind of way, aware that the devil is a is a roaring lion seeking to devour and stand firm in the faith. The very same thing that Peter is encouraging the recipients of his letter in. The reminder that the light and momentary affliction 
is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are, the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but to the things are the, that, are, that are unseen, those are eternal. And there's coming a day after all of this, in the midst of our suffering, God in all of His grace will confirm and restore and strengthen and establish you, verse 10, to Him be the dominion forever and forever. Amen. We reminded you last week of Augustine, his most famous statement, Almighty God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Profound. Profound. Do you have a restless heart this morning? Do you have a tendency to doubt that's all normal? But find a place where you see God for who He is, where you can humble yourselves under His glory and greatness, that you might experience the grace of God, and He is the God of all grace, and might know that everything is going to be okay. As Peter finishes in his dictology by saying, to Him be dominion forever and forever. It brings to life the very things that he says in the verses that are on your screen this morning. It is only because of God and what Christ has accomplished on your behalf that we can have this kind of hope. It has always been about God from the beginning to the end, but sometimes in life, and it was probably true for even some believers receive this admonition and counseling from Peter, sometimes we are prone to doubt. And in the midst of our doubt, something interesting transpires. And all of a sudden, in the midst of our doubt, uh, things become horizontal in nature. It becomes about us and about our situations and about our circumstances and less about the God who is over all of those things. It is a normal experience to the pressures of life. And if I've learned anything in the last couple of weeks. I've learned that we not only have to live with Facebook and social media, that we live in a Facebook world where it is all about you. It's all about you. If you say something with enough passion, it must be true. Facts don't matter anymore, and humility is a thing of the past. It's about bravado and passion. It's the new truth today. We hear a lot about fact-checking on social media. There's no such thing on social media, because if you call someone on their baloney, you're going to be labeled a hater, and you're going to be canceled. The only censorship going on here is when you say something that goes against the talking heads. You'd be praying for people in this congregation who work in the medical field and mere months ago were championed as heroes in the midst of COVID and are now being threatened with their livelihood and their jobs if they don't go along with the party line. That's scary to me. How do we get here? We need to be praying for those people, that they'd have wisdom and decision-making. And I'm not saying you can't make your own decisions about uh, the vaccine. I'm saying you have to. I believe in the sanctity of personal responsibility, but it's, but it's your decision. And when the government starts meddling and telling us what to do, 
consequences of that are great. Man is never sufficiently touched and affected by the awareness of his lowly state until he has compared himself with God's majesty. Can I tell you the only thing that quiets the heart of the restless today is a glimpse of God in all of His glory. That's it. A glimpse of God in all of His glory is the only thing that will quiet your anxious, doubting heart this morning. But even as I look at some of these social media posts, and I try not to, it's like a, it's like a car accident. You know, you're kind of drawn to those. It's all about us. Somehow we start off with a nice little verse, and it ends with how good we are and how blessed we are. And my life is fantastic, and yours isn't like mine, so it's less than mine. And what about God? In the midst of our brokenness, we must find God. I'm reminded of a song that goes back a long, long time by Stephen Curtis Chapman. It says, I will make much of you, Jesus in a Facebook world that flies in the face of reality. How could I stand here and watch the sun rise, follow the mountains where they touch the sky, ponder the vastness and the depths of the sea, and think for a moment the point of it all is to make much of me. <laughs> wow, that's a battle sometimes. That's a challenge sometimes. He sings, because I'm just a whisper, and you are the thunder, and I want to make much of you, Jesus. I want to make much of your love, to live today to give you the praise for you alone are worthy. Is He worthy? He is. I want to encourage you in the midst of this crisis and chaos. Maybe a little, well, I always preach, but maybe a little meddling this morning. Be careful what you post online. You are representing the King of kings and Lord of lords. Make sure that it reflects that He's the King of Lord and lords, and you're not the King over your life or anything else. Because if we don't get this right, the world's never going to get this right. In essence, Peter is saying to these people who he is writing to, listen, God is bigger than all of this. Make sure you don't forget all of that. It is where he starts the letter. It's where he finishes the letter. And when we finally grasp that truth, he says, to him be glory forever and forever. And it reminds us of that, that salient chant of, of the Reformation in Scripture alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace in alone, to the glory of God alone. Soli Dea Gloria. I exist to shout the glory of God. I exist to fit into His plan and whatever He has for me, even persecution. And in the end of the day, the only way I survive is to give all of the glory to God alone, sole deo gloria. That's how Peter's wrapping up his epistle. No matter how this plays out, whether we die for our faith, whether we are used in light of our faith, whatever we might face, to the glory 
of God alone. There's not a lot of room for you in that picture. I'm not trying to tell you that you should think less of you. You're created in the image of God, but you cannot think more of yourselves than you do the glory of God and all of His majesty. And some of you need a fresh look at the King of kings and Lord of lords, because it's, it's become all about you. It never was. It never was. I'm reminded of John in the book of the Revelation. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. Can you imagine? It is giving us a picture of the throne of God. There are people that can't even be counted. There are angels that can't even be numbered. There are thousands and thousands singing and shouting with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory forever and forever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Soli Dea Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Some of us need a little help with that this side of heaven. We feel the pain of persecution and the sting of death. What picture in your mind the most powerful worship service that you've ever been in, standing in the presence of your King, blessing and honor and glory forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. As Peter draws their attention to all of this, he now switches back to a final practical greeting in verse 12 and deals with life under the sun, where He's just given us a picture of the glorious life that we have in the eternal glory in Christ, who will restore and confirm and strengthen and establish, and to Him who gets all of the glory, solit Deo Gloria, to reflect upon the faithful saints who are ministering and holding the line in the worst of persecution. Look what He says in verse 12. By Silvanus… A faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Everything that I've told you is sprinkled with the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, that no matter what you're facing, a better day is coming. Everything that I've said and declared is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Don't get lost and caught up in it. Don't be distracted and filled with all of these doubts that come so easily. Remember your God and live your life to the glory of God alone. Verse 13, he says, she who was at Babylon, who was likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love and peace. To all of you who are in Christ. Now remember, this is the same audience, and this is the same group who are feeling the pressures of life and the persecution that has become so palpable and real to them, 
and he calls upon them to see the glory of God. He calls upon them to get a glimpse of their Savior. He reminds them that the beginning of life and the end of life is God. It's always been rooted in God. But he doesn't ignore the reality of boots on the ground, so to speak. He doesn't ignore the reality that life is hard sometimes, and and he doesn't ignore the reality that when we're thrown and thrust into these terribly trying times, there must be found in the body of believers faithful men and women who will stand firm. So what does he do? He points them out to us. Even by name and the context of the passage of Scripture. He says in verse 12, by Silvanus. This is Silas, if you would. He was a Roman citizen. He may have acted as Peter's secretary for the letter. Perhaps he's just the messenger, so so Peter gives him this letter to take to these beleaguered Christians who are under the weight of persecution under Nero's hand. But he's a faithful servant. He is someone that… that Peter acknowledges he can depend on and he can rely on. This Silvanus is a faithful brother, not just faithful to Paul, but he was faithful to the truth, standing firm in it. He was faithful to the church, standing firm in the truth. And he was going to deliver this letter that perhaps he had a part in in writing down as, as Peter instructed him in a very brief way, he says. I've written briefly to you, but, but this Silvanus, this Silas, he's a faithful brother as I regard him. Everything in his life screams that he is faithful to his Lord, soli deo gloria. He's got his priorities straight. Silas stepped into Paul's life and the missionary journey where John Mark, although wants to go with Paul again, he had quit the last time, and Paul says no. So he takes Silas and goes on his missionary journey to take the good news. And John Mark goes with his uncle Barnabas to a different place and a different, different format, if you would. And he holds up Silvanus as this faithful brother in, in the penning of this letter, the deliverance of this letter that he then says is for the purpose of exhorting and declaring the true grace of God. This Saturday, did you ever wonder where time went? This Saturday marks 20 years since 9-11. We were all together in a different place back then. I'd been preaching and teaching at First Baptist for six months when this took place. By divine appointment, it was required of me that I address this calamity to people who had a thousand different questions and a thousand different fears and a thousand different uncertainties. I remember standing up that Sunday afterwards wondering, what in the world can I do? I'd do the same thing again. I pointed you to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I said, to the glory of God alone, He knows what He's doing. We must lift our eyes up unto the hills from whence comes our help. We can't do this alone.
over 20 years, I can think back the faithful servants that I've served with here at First Baptist Church in Johnson City. I could give you a list, and then some of you would be offended that you're not on it, so I, so I won't do that. But there's been some kindred spirits and people that God has brought into my life here at First Baptist that allowed me to exhort and declare the true grace of God. The picture that comes to mind is Moses who over the battle is lifting his hands for God's victory, and he gets tired. And he asks for someone to help him hold up his hands until the victory is achieved. These are the faithful servants that Peter's talking about. And he says, Silas, he, he'd been faithful to God. He's been faithful to the church. He's been faithful to the Word. He's been faithful to me. I pray that you take some time this week to think back to these faithful servants who God put in your life at just the right time. Maybe when the world was falling on you, just the right time to help you through whatever chaos you were experiencing. He takes the time to do this, to point out this faithful brother. And in the midst of his writings, they were the very Word of God. He reminds them, don't forget the people that God puts in your life in the midst of your suffering. My words, to hold up your arms <laughs> when the doubt comes. Have you been in that place? Are you thankful for those people? Write them down. Send them a note this week. Give them a phone call. If nothing, spend some time in prayer thanking God that, that He knew exactly what you needed and gave it to you at the exact right time. Paul, Peter's saying, this is who Silas is to me. He talks about the letter that he writes, and he says, I'm writing you this letter to exhort you, to strongly encourage you, to urge you to do something. What is he urging them to do? To put all of their faith in the eternal glory in Christ, to remember that when the world is falling apart, to cast their care upon Him, to remind them that this isn't about you. It never was. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of of God. He said, I've written these things to encourage you that a better day is coming, and I've declared it by true truth, the Word of God, the true grace of God contained in the Scripture. And once again, as he did in the prior text, he says, stand firm in that. That's what will keep you. That's what will sustain you. Stand firm. I love the word declaring. These are the people that God have chosen to just stand up and declare what's already been said. Thus saith the Lord. Piercing, I am, I'm the messenger. <laughs> and the, the message is coming from someone far greater than I. I'm simply telling you the truth, to exhort you to stand true. And the only way that I can do that is being surrounded by faithful brothers and, and sisters to assist in the exhorting and in declaring. She was at Babylon, who's likewise chosen, sends you greetings. Is he talking about Peter's wife? 
Is he talking about this city of, of, of Babylon? Is he talking symbolically? And remember, he's writing to a group of people who are experiencing persecution under Rome. It's already bad. It's going to get worse. I believe the simple understanding of those or she who was at Babylon is the believers in the church at Rome. And Paul doesn't want to throw them under the bus and expose their names. He, he doesn't want the enemy to know who they are so that they can be targeted and come after. So he, he says in this cryptic language, she who was at Babylon, the church of Jesus Christ, who, by the way, are chosen just like you. Remember what he said early on in the text, that you're chosen. You, you didn't do this. To understand that you didn't do this leads to sola deo gloria. All the glory goes to God. So as he talks about those in Rome, he's already said that there are others around the world who are suffering the same kind of persecution. He's talking about the believers in Rome who are sending their love and hope and promise to those who Peter is writing to from Rome. That this is a normal part of life, to suffer for your faith. And then he brings up Mark, my son. Again, this is the same John Mark who he refused to take on a second missionary journey because he quit the first time around. There's so much packed into Mark's story. But in 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter recorded for us just before his death, he talks about this very same quitter, John Mark, and he says, bring him with you for he's profitable to me for the ministry. Who changed, Paul or Mark, can I tell you? Both of them, by the grace of God, changed. And somehow, as different as they were, they were faithful servants who stood firm in their faith. They weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But what they were is chosen. I may remind you the words of Paul to the church at Ephesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved in Him, and we would add to that Reformation call, in Him alone we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which is set forth in Christ. What was His purpose? To choose you, to become a part of His body for His glory as a plan from the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and on earth, and in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Sole Deo Gloria. God is saying through Peter, I didn't choose you to put you through the ringer. I didn't choose you so that you could be abused by the people of the world. I chose you in the fullness of my grace to receive the greatest blessing through my son, 
Jesus Christ. And right now, according to my will, I'm allowing your suffering. Will you count that solely, Deo Gloria? Can our suffering even be for the glory of God? Of course. That's why Peter draws us back to the chosen nature of our faith, the hope of the God of all grace, and the promise that if we stand firm in our faith, even after a little while, God will restore us. I want to talk about a timely reminder. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Greet one another with a kiss of love. This is not an imperative. I'm not telling you to approach someone when you leave today and, and grab them and kiss them. It was a cultural thing. It was indicative. That's how they shared their greetings in that near. Your culture. Peter's message couldn't be any clearer. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Did you catch that? Peace to all of you who are in Christ. There's no peace in this world, there's no peace in politics. There is no peace under the sun. There is no peace without a creator. There is no peace without a gospel. There is no peace without our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no peace if we don't understand He chose us. And if we are chosen by Him, can't He keep us? Of course He can. And if you don't have that peace, do you know Him? Perhaps my biggest heartache in this mess is there are people who think they're okay and they're not okay. But you know Him. Because peace is only provided to those who are in Christ, chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, worthy of all honor and praise and glory and majesty. Soli Deo Gloria. At the end of the day, are you living Coram Deo before the face of God? What a great book. What a timely promise. What an amazing hope to know what Job came to know. He can do whatever he wants, but I will see him someday. No matter what I face, I will see him with my own eyes. Sole Deo Gloria. May we live our lives, Corm Deo, so that others might see the hope that we have in Christ alone. It's hard to see sometimes in the hard days. I've lived long enough 
to believe that it's only in the hard days do you really see. <laughs> Sometimes it's those hard days that help us really see. May you be blessed with sight today as you find your hope in Christ alone. Father, thank you. Bless us. Encourage us. In the midst of our shakenness, comfort us. May we know the peace of Christ. May we know that we know what we know about the peace of Christ. May we not get so caught up in in life and the struggles and the pressures and the persecutions that we forget that we're chosen. May we never forget that we exist for the purpose of glorifying God. As we purpose in our life, even in the worst of times, to bring glory to God alone, may we be reminded that that takes place in every moment of every life, every response that we give, everything that we cling to, the very basis of our hope, living before the face of God, believing that He's worthy. What a timely message. May we devour it, and in the midst of our doubt, may you bring great faith, and may we live our lives solely Deo Gloria. To our King and Savior, Jesus Christ, for it's in His name we pray. Amen.